Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. In John chapter 6, um, here in verse 1, it says this, after, the, after this, Jesus crossed the Sea of Galilee, and a huge crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. It says that they were following him, verse 2, because they saw the signs that he was performing. Everyone say performing. Performing by healing the sick. Last week we talked a little bit about Uh, If you back up actually a few weeks, we talked about the parable of the sower. And after the parable of the sower, we recognized that he explained that parable to his disciples. He gave the explanation of the parable to his disciples. He did not give the explanation to the crowd. He ministered to the crowd. He taught the crowd. He, He healed the crowd. And he did these miracles and signs and wonders for the crowd. But in the end... It was those that contributed. It was those that bought in. It was those that were invested in that got to receive the real depth of Jesus' ministry. You know, Jesus's, what Jesus wants to do in your life is deep. Amen. He wants to go deep. He wants to go deeper than anyone ever has. He wants to go further than anyone ever has. He wants to break down the barriers, and he wants to to release the stuff that you've held on to for years. He wants to get to the bottom of it. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say, he wants to get to the bottom. He wants to get to the bottom of it. Jesus wants to get to the bottom of it. And in Jesus' ministry, it was only his select few, only his disciples, that he was able to get to the bottom, to the heart of the matter. And we saw last week that there are those that are on the shore and there are those that get in the boat. There are those that remain on the shore and man, they're there for the miracles. They're there for the signs and wonders. They're there for uh, the, all the, the, the catchiness and all the hype and, and the glitz and the glam and the teaching that, man, we've never heard anybody teach like this before and the miracles. We've never seen anybody do miracles like this before. The casting out of demons and the, the, the walking on water and all these things. But it's when you get close to Jesus and you buy into a life of discipleship and following him that you really get to see him for who he is. And although they got to see who he was on the surface, they didn't get to receive who he really was, who he really wanted to be. And here in the Gospel of John, we get a different glimpse. They they saw him perform the signs, a huge crowd followed him, and it specifically says that they followed him because they saw the signs that he was performing by healing the sick. This crowd only collected to watch Jesus perform. It literally tells us, because he was performing. They followed Jesus for what he could do. And look, we've all done this at times in our life, gone to Jesus for what he can do for us. We've all gone after Jesus in the time of need. We've all followed after Jesus or cried out to Jesus or hit our knees uh, uh, because the scenario, the situation got so bad. I need you to do something for me. In fact, that's really uh, uh, for a lot of people a reason why Jesus even gets the, the 
uh, glory and the attention that he does at this time of year as we come up on Christmas is because what are you going to do for me? The whole gift-giving concept that we have bought into into Christmas, that we really center Christmas around. I mean, my son's only nine years old, and he's already figured it out. You make a list. You check it twice. And to him, it doesn't matter if he was naughty or nice. This is the list. And it goes in the Amazon little list thing. And, and the, the phone call gets made to the grandparents. And, and, and you show it to me 10 times a day. Yeah, I already saw it. Yeah, got it. Costs $352. I understand. I got it. 18 different items that by January 31st, you'll forget about. I, I know how this goes. We've got it down. What can you do for me? But the danger of what can you do for me, to, because the, 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 the danger becomes, what have you done for me lately? Yeah, that's the problem. What have you done for me lately? We, we, we only, we have a recency bias. We have this issue that we, we have a very short-term memory when it comes to Jesus and, and how invested we are and, and how devoted we are and how closely we follow. It, it's, it's, it's knit by what have you done for me lately? We forget the, the brokenness he brought us out of 10 years ago. We forget when we were lost, we were deceived, we were in, in a toxic mess. There was nothing else for us, no other resource, no other way to go, no other direction to follow. But it's only, what have you done for me lately? I have discovered that when complaining is high, it's typically because gratitude is low. Where complaining is high, typically gratitude is low. It's difficult. I'm not saying impossible. I'm sure, I'm sure somebody can figure it out. But it's pretty difficult to be grateful and complain at the same time. <laughs> That's hard. You got to be pretty messed up in your mind to, to be grateful for something yet still complain about it at the same time. But usually we, it's because we're not operating in an attitude of gratitude. It's usually because we're not remembering what God has done for us. And, and look, it's what God has done for you that's going to get you to the next battle. Get you through the season that you're in. I mean, this was a great time. This year was a great opportunity to test your memory on what Jesus has done in your life. And we use the breath in our lungs that he gives us every breath we take to complain. Let's talk about what we don't have. It's natural to focus on deficiency. It's natural to focus on what has been taken away. It's natural to, to have uh, a hundred things but focus on the one thing that's still missing. That's human nature. That's, that's, a, that's a mindset of depravity. That's a mindset of loss. That's a mindset of deficiency. But God does not want us to live that way. God, doesn't, God never intended you to live from miracle to miracle. Miracles are for helpless people. And look, I love the miracles that God has done in my life. 
I treasured those moments when I was in a position that there was nothing I could do for myself. There was no way out but through Jesus. And I thank God that my salvation is not by my works, not by my merits, not by anything I did, not by being good enough, having enough, doing enough. It was simply because of the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. It was simply because of the gift that keeps on giving in Jesus. It was simply because he went to the cross and died with no guarantee that I would accept him simply because of that. But how quickly we can take that for granted and how quickly we can put that by the wayside when we start looking at the next thing we need God to do for us. They followed him because he was doing stuff. They followed him because he was performing for them. And when's the second act? And when's the third act? When's intermission? When are you going to perform this sign? And when you, at, at one time, Jesus even looks at him and says, you perverse generation, all you do is seek a sign. This is just, this is a road show for you. This is a circus for you. What, do another trick for us, Jesus. Heal another person for us, Jesus. And even in the midst of that, I'm not going to read it because you know the story. But right after this, Jesus goes up on a mountain. Verse 3 says, Jesus went up on a mountain and sat down there with his disciples. With his disciples. He withdrew from the crowd that was only following him for performance. Only motivated by what he could do. Withdrew from them because Jesus didn't live by man's standards. Jesus lived motivated by mission. Motivated by why he was sent from the Father. In fact, several times in John chapter 5, John chapter 6, John chapter 7, he makes a statement along the lines of, I don't do anything on my own initiative. I don't do it because people want me to. I don't do it because I want to. I only do what the Father tells me to do. His only motivation in life was obedience to his Father. And even in this moment where he withdraws from the crowd, because they want to see him perform another miracle. He goes on a mountain with his disciples. And immediately, the crowd starts to show up and follow him. Now we know why they're following him. We've already been clued in. John has already given us insight. They haven't followed him because they want to leave all. They haven't, they're not following him because they want to forsake father and mother. They're not following him because they want to be devoted to the mission of the kingdom of God that he speaks so often about. They're not following him because they want to lay down their life, take up his cross and follow him. They're following him for performance. They're following him for the next sign. And you know what God gives them? Another performance. We end up on the side of a mountain, a crowd of 5,000, not including men, uh, not including women and children, probably upwards of fifteen to 20,000 people on the side of a mountain who are only following God for performance reasons. And he multiplies food for them. So much so that there are empty baskets left over. Now, if that isn't the grace of God, I don't know what is. And look, we've all been there. You cried out to Jesus simply for what he could do, and he answered you. He showed up. 
He brought the water out of the rock. He put the manna on the ground. He put the, even though he knows tomorrow you're going to complain about the blessing you're praying for today. Hello? Anybody in this room want to be honest? You've ever complained about what you prayed about? Yep. Is that recency bias? What have you done for me lately? Oh, I just healed all your sick. Oh, that was yesterday, Jesus. I, I just cast out demons. Yeah, that was the other day. That was last week. That's old news. That was 2019. What are you doing for me now? Here we are out on the side of the mountain. We're all hungry. Perform for us, Jesus. Show us another trick, Jesus. They weren't looking for miracles. They were looking for magic. They're looking for just the next sign and the, the next wonder. And even in that moment, even with that attitude, Jesus still shows up and meets their need. That's incredible. That's incredible. Jesus meets their need. Well, if you jump down to verse 14. Verse 14, it says this, and when the people saw the sign. You see the sign? Here's your sign. They saw the sign. Come on, you've seen signs. You've seen wonders. You've seen him perform time and time again. You've seen him restore your marriage, and you didn't think it was restored. It was beyond restoration. It, you, you, you saw him restore your life. You saw him heal you when you were sick. You saw him deliver you out of that financial bondage. You saw him come through for you, give you that word when you needed it. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, this truly is the prophet who is to come into the world. Now they are identifying who he is but they're only identifying who he is by what he does. He must be the prophet since he's doing these signs, since he's multiplied all this food, since he's met this need in such a miraculous way. This must be that, that son of God we're, we're waiting for. That must be the prophet. That must be the king that has been prophesied. I mean, look what he's doing. If you always need God to do something to prove who he is, then you're missing the point of his identity. They are only giving him an identity based on what he's doing. Just two chapters earlier in John chapter 4, Jesus goes and meets with the Samaritan woman. And the Samaritan woman is arguing with him over and over about this water and, and I have the living water, I am the living water. And he goes on and on. And the woman's not getting it. And then finally, she prophesied, or Jesus prophesies to her and says, go get your husband. She says, well, I don't have a husband. And he says, you're absolutely right. You don't have a husband. You've had five. And the one you're with now is not your husband. And then she says, you must be a prophet. After he performed. After he performed. Does it take God doing stuff for you? For you to acknowledge who he is? Does it take him doing, acting, and performing? Doing this and doing that? Because look, if you will follow him when he's doing stuff for you, guess what you will do? 
You'll unfollow him when he's not. Oh, I've seen it. I've seen God do absolute miracles in people's lives. But because of their recency bias and because of their performance-motivated discipleship, if you can call it that, followership, they quickly abandon and neglect and walk away from the very one that set them free, the very one that delivered them, the very one that brought, that brought them through, the very one. And look, the, the Israelites did it in the wilderness. Crying, praying for, for water. Oh, Moses, you brought us out here to die. Oh, we're going to die of thirst. And what does he do? Not because of their faith, not because of their belief in him, not because they knew that he could do a miracle. Come Out of their complaining and their grumbling, Moses is commanded to strike a rock and water comes out of it. An absolute miracle. And man, when the miracle's happening, our countenance is, wee, yay. Look what Jesus did. Oh, he's so wonderful. Oh, he's so mighty. And we'll sing songs and hymns and, 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 and we'll do the whole church bit. But then the second we end up in another dire situation. The second we end up in another challenge, in another circumstance that is contrary. What, what happens? The complaining and the grumbling shows up. Do you know they even complained about the manna? Showed up every day. And eventually they what? They got tired of it. <laughs> they got tired of a blessing. They got tired. They, don't you have anything else up there in, in the heavenly bakery? Hey, you mix it up a little bit. Throw some chocolate in or, you know, warm it up this time. Or, you know, let's, let's mix. Oh, they began to complain. They're in the middle of a wilderness. And by, by, by no work of them at all, they don't have to do anything to get it. It automatically shows up in the morning. So they're following him, it says, because of these miracles. And when they saw the sign, now they acknowledge this truly is the prophet who has come into the world. Verse 15, watch what Jesus does. When Jesus realized that they were about to come and take him by force. They're about to take him by force to make him king. He withdrew again to the mountain by himself. He was in the crowd, went to the mountain. They follow him up the mountain. He feeds them this miracle from five loaves and two fish. Performs this miracle. This must be the prophet. This must be him. Let's make him our king. Guess what? Jesus is not your king because you choose him to be. He is your king because that's who he is. You don't get to vote him in and you don't get to vote him out. You don't get to, you can make him Lord of your life, but he's Lord regardless. He's in charge regardless. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Regardless of whether you accept it or not. Regardless of whether you like it or not. Regardless of what you think about him or not. Doesn't matter. He is king. He is king. And he will not be forced 
into your idea of who he should be. Jesus will never become, will never lower himself to our standards of who we think he should be. We are called to rise to his standard of who he already is. He said, we ain't having this. We ain't having you making me your king and calling me. Because guess what? If he lowers himself to their idea of being king, then he has to operate according to their standards. Yep. He sure does. Some of us are okay with Jesus as long as he does what we tell him to do. We get it backwards. Who's the servant of who? Who's serving who? Who's bowing down to who? And yeah, in his grace and in his mercy, he'll meet our needs. But at the end of the day, he's not going to allow himself to be identified by what he does for us. It says, when evening came, verse 16, his disciples went down to the sea got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. Now, we saw this last week in a different uh, uh, gospel, in Mark's gospel, that it's only the disciples that get in the boat. It's only the disciples that are bought in and invested into his ministry that get to go with him to the other side. And so now, this time, he is sending his disciples to the other side. Last time, he got in the boat with them. Last time he got in the boat with them, he was sleeping in the bottom of the boat and a storm showed up. But what did Jesus say? Let us go to the other side. So guess what's happening? We're going to the other side. He spoke the word. He is the word made flesh and dwelt among us. If he said we're going to the other side, we're going to the other side. Well, in their fear and in their worry and in their concern, they wake Jesus up. Why are you so fearful? Why do you have such little faith? And he rebuked the storm stopped it, and they made it to the other side. Well, this time he's not in the boat, and the storm shows up. Jesus had not yet come to them. Verse 18, a high wind arose, and the sea began to churn. And after they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, performing yet another miracle. He was coming near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, it is I. Don't be afraid. Now watch this. Then they were willing to take him on board. And at once the boat was at the shore where they were heading. In this occasion, Jesus gets in the boat, and immediately they are translated from the middle of the sea to the other side. There's no more rowing. There's no more trekking. There's no more sailing. They are immediately, he gets in the boat. They're willing to accept him on board, and he immediately gets them to the other side. That's pretty incredible. Hey, look, this ain't my message, but I'm telling you, you want to be that person that lets Jesus in the boat, and he will get you to the other side. And there'll be no explanation for it. There won't be any way to say, well, well, you know, this happened, and this, it'll be by the miracle-working hand of God, you get to the other side. Amen? Well, look what happens, continuing on, verse 22. The next day, the crowd that had stayed on the other side, they stayed on the side. They saw that there had been 
only one boat. And they also saw that Jesus had not boarded the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone off alone. They even recognized, wait a minute, hold on. Now they're doing some investigation. Now we saw Jesus' disciples go to the other side. Anybody see Jesus get in that boat? I didn't see him. I just saw his disciples. He was up on the mountain. Well, then how did he get to the other side? What's, go- what's going on here? How did, did we miss a miracle? Do we miss another trick? Do we miss another performance? Do we, do we miss it? Were, were we sleeping? Did we, did we close our eyes? Were we ignoring it? What, what happened? How did he get from here to there? How, how did he do that? How did he get there? They even asked, verse 23, some boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. And when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went to Capernaum looking for Jesus. Now they're looking for him. They're running him down. Now they're, now they're willing to get in the boat. They weren't willing to get in the boat before, but now they're Why? Because the, my, 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 my magic trick's gone. My miracle maker's gone. My performance show is gone. The entertainment has left. Remember, they're only following him for performance. We've already been clued in in the beginning. Where did he go? How did he get there? And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? (laughs) These people are funny. I believe some people are going to say that in 2021. They're going to look at your life and they're going to say, how did you get here? How did you get to be so happy? How did you get to be so content? How did you get to this place where you, you, you've you got more and above? You're living above and beyond. You're, you're the head and not the tail. You're above and not be- how, how After all that happened in 2020, how did they wanting an explanation? And there will be none. There will be none except that God showed up. God brought me through. God said we were getting to the other side. We are getting to the other side, and I don't have an explanation for you. I'm just going to keep on smiling and serving my Jesus. I'll keep going where he tells me to go and doing what he tells me to do, and say, and he will make sure I get to the other side. Come on, if that bears witness with you, you need to shout amen. You're getting to the other side. And Jesus answered, truly, I tell you, you are looking for me. Not because you saw the signs, but because you ate the loaves and were filled. Because you ate the loaves and were filled. He calls them out. What, I didn't leave you with enough leftovers? You want me to perform another trick? He calls them out. It's because you ate that food back there. That was some good... That was some good multiplication, wasn't it? And now you want more. Because what? That that food, that will leave you empty. Just like Jesus told the woman at the well, you drink from this water, you'll thirst again. And that's the issue, is we run to things and we try to find solutions that leave us just as empty as we were before we found that solution. That's called a resource. See, resources dry up. You don't want a resource. You want the source. You want to go to the source. The source never runs out. The source never dries up. 
The source is always full and always available to give to you what you need. But if we keep running after resource, this is the issue. What are the resources we're running to? What are the resources you ran to that in 2020 dried up? What are the resources you are leaning on to? Look, sometimes you don't know what you're depending upon until it's taken away. (laughs) We didn't realize we were leaning that hard on it. We didn't realize we needed that much attention. We didn't realize we were we were really putting all of our we we were putting all of our trust and dependence in that job and in that bank account, and and now it's run dry. We had to use it up, and now your, your 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 trust meter is going off because it's not there anymore. It's been depleted. It's been deficient. It's empty. Now you're chasing Jesus. Where are you? I need more. He says, don't work for the food that perishes, but for the food that lasts for eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. And watch what he says right here. Because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal of approval on him. What's he saying? You accept me because of what I've done. He accepts me because of who I am. When did that seal of approval come on Jesus? When he came up out of the water, being baptized by John the Baptist and the booming voice through the clouds proclaimed, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And would you know, he had not performed one miracle. He had not ministered one message. He had not healed one leper. He had not broken bread. He had not walked on water. He had not cast out a demon. He hadn't raised a dead man to life. All he did was come out of the water in obedience to the word. He said, we are doing this. John the Baptist tried to fight him for it. And he said, no, 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 we are doing this to fulfill the word. And when he fulfilled the word, the voice came through the clouds. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Not because of what he's done, but because of who he is. He says, you follow me because of what I do. He accepts me because of who I am. Well, they don't get it. They don't get it. Verse 28. Well, what can we do to perform the works of God? Maybe some of us are in that category. Well, what can I do? There must be something I can do. See, th- this is me. This is this is this ministers to me because I am driven by performance. Just personally, just being open, transparent, and honest with you. I'm driven by what I do. Yesterday was a difficult day for me. Had nothing to do. I'm sure I had something to do. But for it took till about three o'clock. It was after the first football game, I know that. Because that whole first football game, what was I watching? I was watching Texas lose. That was Friday. What was yesterday? Gators. Gators whip up on Kentucky. What else was on it at 12 o'clock? 
what was the 12 o'clock? There was another one. I was switching back and forth. And the whole time while switching back and forth, I was doing this. There must be something I'm supposed to be doing. This doesn't feel right. Laying on the couch with a blanket, watching a football. And y'all don't want a pastor that just lays around and doesn't do anything, right, and just watch football games, right? I'm not supposed to be. I should have been cleaning something. Should have been decorating something. Should have been working on a message, right? I wasn't doing none of that. And the performance side of me was like, I'm I'm not doing it. I'm missing it. There's, There's something wrong. Finally, I've got that weight off. But God doesn't measure us by performance. They're asking, what can we do? What can we do? What can we do? And that's the wrong question to ask. The right question to ask is, who can I be? We ask, what can I do? But God is wanting to know, who will you be? Jesus, what, God wasn't interested in what Jesus could do. God was interested in who Jesus would be. He'd be the son of God. He would be obedient. He would be the, the light of the world. It was not, see, I, I, I would tell anyone that's desiring to get married, before you share your I do's, settle your I am's. Hello? Before you decide of my, I do, I do, I do, you need to decide who I am, who I am, who I will be. Because if you will choose to be, then you will do. The doing follows the being. But we put the doing in front of the being. If I do, then I'll be. And God doesn't work that way. God doesn't operate that way. When he created you in Genesis chapter 1, he said, I'm going to create man and woman in my flesh. In my likeness. That's who you are. Then he gives them an assignment. And they will have dominion over all the earth. The doing follows the being. But when we get it backwards, guess what? Not only will you expect that of yourself, you will expect that of God. You'll expect him to do to prove who he is. Y'all with me? We gotta get this, we gotta get this in alignment. They said, What can we do? Jesus replied, This is the work of God that you believe in the one he has sent. You believe in me for who I am, not because of what I do, but you believe simply. You're not allowing external factors to dictate who Jesus is. Right? Because one day you'll be celebrating when the miracles are, are opening up, the floodwaters are opening up, and, and, and the water's coming out of the rock. But the next day when you're not seeing the performance, and you're not seeing the miracles, and you're not seeing the behavior, then you start questioning, well, is God for me? And does God want me to be healed? And does God want me whole? And does God care about my message, my, 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 my marriage? Does God care about me? Does God even know? We start having these questions. It's because we are performance driven, not identity driven. This is the work. What is, how's God working? That you would believe. Verse 30. What sign then are you going to do so we may see and 
believe you. And I know we're all thinking these crazy people, the crazy crowd, but we've done it. Just go ahead and say it. I've done it. Just go ahead and be honest. I, I, I've done that too, Jesus. What are you, what are you going to do? What are you going to perform? What are you going to show me? What trick are you going to do? What miracle are you going to bring to pass? What prayer are you going to answer? Hmm. Stepping on some toes today? Well, that's probably too soon after you're probably still recovering from all that Thanksgiving dinner to be throwing all these punches today. Amen? That's okay. You'll be all right. Just smile. Just smile. What sign are you going to do? So we may believe. We may see and believe. What did he tell Thomas after he rose from the dead? Blessed are those that believe, that do not see. Mm. They asked, what are you going to perform? What are you going to perform? God, what are you going to do to get me through the rest of 2020? What are you going to do? Look, I, I, I love it when God does stuff just as much as anybody else. We just can't allow that to be the leading motivation for our discipleship and devotion. Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness just as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Now they're even using scripture to back up their expectation of Jesus' performance. You ever done that? I know you can heal me because the word says, by his stripes, I am healed. So now I'm going to use scripture to try to get to God to motivate, to be motivated to work on my behalf. Now the scripture tells you who he is. Not just what he does. Now they're even using scripture. Now they're even using the word. And Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, Moses didn't give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you. What's he saying? You've had your eye on the wrong source this whole time. You thought it was the bread that was sustaining you. It was my God that was sustaining you. It was my father that brought you through. It wasn't the stuff. It was who he is. It was his person. It's in his likeness. It's in his nature to, to be a blessing to you. He will make sure that you do not need and you, you do not want. My Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And look at what they say. Then they said, Sir, give us this bread always. Give us this bread all the time. Keep me healed. All the time. Make sure my bank account never runs empty. Make sure I'm taken care of always. I heard someone say just recently, contentment is not when you have enough. Contentment is not when you have enough. Contentment is when what you have is enough. 
Contentment is not when you have. I don't choose to be content when all my needs are met. I choose to look at my situation and say, I have enough for today. Isn't that what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6? That every day has its own needs. Every day is going to have its own cares. Focus on what you need today. And tomorrow will take care of itself. But here they are saying, make sure we always have what we need. Make sure we always have enough. Make sure we always have this bread that never runs out. Still looking at the stuff. Still looking at what he can do. And they don't even see that they're not talking to a person with bread. They are talking to the bread. The very next verse, verse 35. What does he say? I am the bread of life. I am. In fact, John, the gospel of John is known for the seven I am statements. Jesus seven times declares, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the true vine. Seven times he lets these people know that are only following him for performance reasons. Only following him because they're motivated by what God can do. Only following him because of the next trick and the next miracle and the next uh, performance that he can put on. And he tells them seven times, it's not about what I do. It's about who I am. And when you know who I am, you get everything that follows. You get everything. He says, I am the bread of life and no one who comes to me will ever be hungry. And no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. But as I told you, you've seen me and yet you do not believe. Problem. Everyone the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of those he has given me, but should raise them up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him will have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Verse 41, I mean, wouldn't you be excited to know that the bread that keeps you from never growing hungry again is standing right in front of you. The water that will make sure you never thirst again is standing right in front of you. And this is what happens in verse 41. Therefore, the Jews started complaining about him. Because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I have come down from heaven? The true bread of life is standing 
right in front of them. He has just taken care. He has given them a guarantee. Believe on me. Follow after me. You will never grow hungry again. You will never thirst again. And now they're complaining. And yesterday, he was the true prophet that they tried to make king. Today, that's just Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph. Is your identity of Jesus tied to what he does? Or is it tied to who he is? Is our image of Jesus, our picture of Jesus, our belief of Jesus connected to performance or to our belief system? How can he now say? He goes on. He ends up getting so deep with them that they end up not following him. Verse 60. Verse 60, therefore, when many of his disciples heard this, many of his disciples, many of his disciples heard this, they said, this teaching is hard. Who can accept it? Verse 68, jump on down to verse 68. Actually, go to verse... 67. Go to verse 66. (laughs) From that moment, worship team, you can come. From that moment, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. What's that song? I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus until he offends me. And then I turn back. Now, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. No turning back. Many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. And he doesn't chase them down. No, don't go. Was it something I said? I, oh, I, I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. No, verse 67. Jesus looks at the 12, the most dedicated of the group. You don't want to go away too, do you? Because Jesus was willing to forsake all for the mission of his father. Even the acceptance of people. Even the idea of people. Even the pedestal of man. He said, no. I'm going to the cross alone. uh, Peter responds in verse 68. Peter responds. Lord, look at this. To whom? Who? Who? Who will we go? 
you have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. They were secure in their identity of who he was. It didn't waver day to day on what Jesus was doing that day or what the level of their need was that day. And Jesus even goes on to say in the continuing verses, it says, and even out of the 12 of you, one of you has a devil. One of you is going to take me to the cross. One of you is actually going to help me fulfill the plan of God on my life by betraying me over. Even one of you. What is our dedication and our devotion tied to today? As we move into this Christmas season, as we move into this joyous time, which for a lot of people isn't joyous because it's dictated by circumstance and it's dictated by surroundings and it's dictated by pressures and it's dictated. But what has God done for you? It's because of who he is, not because of his miracles and not because of his signs and not be the Bible even tells us that miracles and signs and wonders they're for the unbelievers for us that believe we're not swayed by what's happening to us we're not moved by what's going on around us Paul said I'm not moved by what I see I'm not moved by how I feel I'm not moved by pressures on all sides he said I'm pressured on all sides I have been beaten down I've been handed over I've been left for dead but I'm following Jesus no matter what He's not my resource. He is the source. And I will not disconnect from the source of my life, the bread of my life, the water, the living water that never runs dry. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the way, the truth, and the life. It's who He is. It's who He is. It's not what He does. Don't let God be the just the doing God for you this year don't forget all his benefits don't forget if he did not one not one more thing for you you can give him glory praise and honor with every breath you have left on this earth Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.